Well, welcome everybody to part three of the series that we're in right now called Tough Times. And what we're doing throughout this series is taking a look about how God doesn't back away from us during tough times, but he actually grows and comes nearer to us maybe than we've ever thought possible before, that he actually grows faith during tough times. And so we looked last week at anxiety in tough times on Good Friday. Uh, so this Friday at 6.30 p.m. right back here, we're going to take a look at how Jesus ex experienced extreme loneliness in tough times. Oh, you'll join us for our Good Friday worship experience again at 6.30. Today, today though, we're taking a look at what God does with fear in tough times. And so I want to begin this morning with just kind of like this acknowledgement that, uh, that a lot of us are in this place of fear. And so if you have something that, that's keeping you up at night, if you have something that you're afraid of, I would love for you to leave it in the comments section below on Facebook or YouTube and just share it with us. Maybe it's Maybe it's something weighty and, and heavy that we can pray for you. Maybe it's something silly and you just want to like get it off your chest that there's this something that, that you're afraid of. But leave it in the comments below. We'd love to uh, be in community with you that way. Uh, this time that we're in right now is like rewriting all of these social rules. And so, uh, for example, there's like this rule in my house. As a good parent, I taught it to my kids. It's called the the five-second rule, this one dates back to our ancestors, I'm sure, this ancient contract, no, no, a covenant, right, that we have as people with the, the germs, right, that the, when we drop food on the ground, that we have this unspoken agreement that we, those germs, they wait five seconds before attacking the food. But listen, in the coronavirus age, that, that's rules, is like off the table. So my first grader, he drops dinner on the ground, he's like, hey, I got five seconds to like shove this in my mouth, and we're like, no, you don't don't. Not anymore. That's going to the trash. We'll get you something new. Don't worry about it, son. I mean, that's like some of the right rules that are getting rewritten because of the fear that's all around us all the time. Another one is just going out for a walk. I'm outside. I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I'll see somebody like a quarter mile in front of me, and immediately we like make eye contact and start figuring out like which one of us is going to cross the street so we don't have to be within six feet, ten feet away from each other all the time. So we're just like rewriting figuring out these social rules all the time in this new age. It's, uh, it's strange stuff. But I want to I share with you this morning, as we talk about fear and those things that maybe keep you up at night or the things that you're afraid of happening, some of it isn't all bad. And I think that's what makes this topic so intriguing and honestly kind of slippery to get our minds around, is that some fear is good. Is that we don't actually want to be an entirely fearless people. Because I'll show you a picture of somebody who is fearless. This is a fearless group of people. We got some spring breakers hanging out on a beach somewhere. And it's like, no, 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 we don't want to be that. Okay, that's a little bit too fearless. We don't want that at all. That's, that's a terrible idea. In fact, dozens and dozens of them got the virus immediately following that. No, we don't want that. That's not a good plan. That's not, that's not, that's not what we want. No, it's just like when I turn around the corner and I see my first grader, he's up on top of, a, uh, up on top of the countertop, he's got tiptoes, he's got his hands reaching to the top cabinet up there, and I'm like, no way, that's a terrible idea. We don't want, I mean, get down from there, you're going to get hurt. We don't want to be fearless. No, no, some kind of fear is good. Some of it develops a, a concern inside of us and, and, and even pulls out some wisdom. It's good, it's healthy fear. We don't want to be entirely 
fearless. We don't want to be entirely fearless also because the place where we get fear is actually that thing in the back of our mind, that ability that we have to recall the past and then project that onto the future. That's oftentimes why we're afraid we're recalling something bad happening to us in the past or happening to somebody else in the past and then we project that onto our own future and it makes us afraid. But we do that with positive things too. For example, worship. I can recall in the past a time when we were all gathered in one place together. There were hundreds and hundreds of us and we're all singing out praises to God. And I'm projecting that on into the future and I'm saying, I can't wait for that day to come. And I know it will soon enough. And so I don't want to be fearless because I would lose that ability to recall the past and project in the future. I don't want to be fearless because in, in becoming fearless, I'd lose that ability to really to hope and to imagine into a better future. I wouldn't trade my hope and imagination for the ability to entirely be fearless, not, not when I've seen what that becomes in the dangerous place that that is. So we can't be fearless and we don't even want to be fearless. But for this morning, what we're going to try to do is answer this other question. If I can't be fearless, maybe is there somehow I can fear less? Like just take the amount of fear, the gripping fear, the fear that grabs our attention and just won't let us go, that keeps us tossing and turning late into the night when you're playing that game with yourself, that cruel, awful, fear-based game that says, hey, listen, if I fall asleep right now, I can get seven hours or six and a half and five and a half hours of sleep, four and a half hours of sleep, and it tosses and turns all night long. If I can't be fearless, if I shouldn't be fearless, maybe somehow there's a way that I could simply fear less. And listen, Jesus, in the story that he shares this morning, he's telling you today, he's going, yes, it's possible that you too can fear less. Listen to the story from Matthew chapter 14. It comes to us, um, Matthew chapter 14, and it starts off this way in verse 22. It says that immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, he, he made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat for two reasons. Number one is that he had just, he had just finished feeding the 5,000. So he's got his teaching he's doing and people were so captured by it and people were so engaged into it. This crowd just kept growing and developing and developing in this, this massive audience that Jesus had. And they started to get hungry. They started then to get hangry. And so the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we, we got to send them home. They got to get something to eat. And Jesus looks like, well, why don't you, why don't you feed them? And they're going, what are you kidding? It's 5,000 people. What are we going to feed them with? And just, I don't know, go find something. And so they did. They went out in the crowd and they started asking, who's got something that we can share with the group? They come up with one kid, one Lunchable. It's got like a couple of dinner rolls and some fish sticks. And they're like, I guess this is what we have. Jesus prayed, he blessed it, and they started distributing it to the crowd. They start handing it out, handing it out, handing it out, and it doesn't run out. It just like keeps going. There's, there's breadsticks and fish sticks for everybody. And in fact, there's even more left over than what they started with. And of course, you can imagine this left an impression with the people that day. They loved Jesus. And I'll tell you, they also loved the disciples who passed out the baskets. And they were like heroes that day. Their stock was riding high. 
And, and they're starting to, to call Jesus their new king. They start calling Jesus their new president, prime minister, governor, senator. They start calling him like every leadership position they can think of. He's now mayor. He's, he's all of it. This is a revolution. We're going to follow him wherever he goes. And Jesus is like, this is, this is not my way. This is not what I'm about. Not this way. Not now. But the disciples, they didn't want to go. And they're like, this is great. I mean, I just like, let's hear the crowd out. They're making some compelling arguments here. And so Jesus, number one, he made them get into the boat because they didn't want to get in. They didn't want to leave the crowd. The crowd was saying some nice, flattering things. They wanted to hear more of it. And number two, they were familiar with Jesus' object lessons. A little ways earlier, they had gotten into a boat and a storm came. Jesus was in the boat at that time and he slept all the way through it. And so now they're looking at it and going like, I've, I've seen, I've read this story before, Jesus. I want nothing. I don't, I learned that lesson. I'm done. But Jesus is going, did you though? Did you learn that lesson? Reason number two, I've got something for you here. Get into the boat. So I think, I can't imagine, I think that they just see these storm clouds developing on the horizon. And they've got a sneaking suspicion as to what Jesus is sending them into. And so that's where we're going to pick it up this morning, is just talking about what it means that Jesus sent his followers, his closest followers, knowingly into a storm. And that's our first point of engagement, because sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes what we think of, when we think of following Jesus, it is the easiest life imaginable, where everything is perfect. It's the Jesus-blessed life. And, and we know that's not true. You know, hopefully, that it's not true because you can look no further than just the story of the disciples and to see the storms of life that Jesus sent them into. Because some of us, when we're misled in thinking that the Jesus life means an easy life, when things get hard, we think God abandoned us. When things get scary and we become afraid, it's because we think that God isn't anymore around us. And so I want to tell you this morning that the presence of the storm shouldn't make you doubt the presence of God. Or another way we could put it is, don't, don't mistake or don't let the storm in front of you cause you to miss the God around you. He is here. He is with you even now, especially now. Listen to how the story unfolds in verse 23. It says that after, he, after Jesus had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the deal is that the disciples are rowing with all their might, everything that they have, to try to come back to shore. It's only a handful. It's like three miles. It's not far. And they're doing everything they possibly can to get back up on the shore. But it all just isn't enough. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn... So this has been going on all night, church. All night they've been struggling against the wind and the waves. It was evening when they set out there, and now it's shortly before dawn all night. They're struggling. Their muscles are tired. They're sore, and now they're hungry again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. Listen, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in what? Fear. They cried out in fear. I think that's just so interesting, isn't it? 
that here they are caught in a storm again. And they knew storms, many of them. They're fishermen. They've been out on the water. They've been caught in the storms. They've probably known people who have lost their lives being caught up in one of these storms. The wind is beating against them. The ship is threatening to capsize and fall over. They probably, probably can't swim. This could be the end. No, they're, they're afraid of the storm. But listen to me, they are terrified of this guy now walking out onto the storm. Because there's a clap of thunder, there's a flash of lightning, and they can see this, this haze of somebody who's standing on the water, who's walking, it says it twice, walking on the lake. As afraid as they were of the storm, Seeing the guy on the storm, who's captain of the storm, who's commander of the storm, brings their fear to an entirely new level. There's like gears onto this thing that it just shifted up into. Verse 27, listen, listen to this. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And when we talk about having gears on their fear and how much they were afraid of the storm, but then they met the captain of the storm, the person who walks on the storm, the one who is behind the storm. I want to say, church, that that one is looking at you today and he's saying, take courage. It's me. It's I. Don't be afraid. So I got this unsolicited text message from a friend of mine. Not much context on it. It's just quotes around it. So I know someone said this. I have no idea who. But he said, when you meet the one you ought to fear, he will tell you, fear not. I love that so much. Because as afraid as we are of the storms of life, as afraid as we are of loneliness, as afraid as we are of un or underemployment, of boredom, or excessive workload that's bearing down on us, especially now, as afraid as we are of the marriage struggles and relationship toil, as afraid as we are of so many things that we have to be afraid of. There is one who is behind and above all of them. There is one who walks out onto the storm and meets us there. The one who we ought to be afraid of. And he looks at you and he looks at I and he says, take courage. Don't be afraid. You know, there's uh, that phrase, fear not or don't be afraid. That's used 365 times in some translations of the Bible. I wouldn't look into that too much, but roughly speaking, that's enough for once in every day in a year, and then just on repeat year after year. And I just can't help but step back and wonder, if God didn't expect us to be in danger so much, why would he say so many times, fear not? Take courage. I'm here. Listen to what happens next in the story, verse 28. Because Peter, brash Peter, jumps in and he said, Lord, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 29, 
Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, this is the part of the story that she's like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, talk about, like, he's afraid of the storm. This guy comes walking out on the storm. And Peter says, hey, man, like, invite me out there. Jesus said, come on. <laughs> Walk on the water just like I'm walking on the water. We don't really know why it is and Peter asked to come out on the water to walk on there. You know, some people said that, some people said that uh, he was involved in the feeding of the 5,000 miracle, like just immediately, that language uh, previous. And he's like, hey, listen, I was involved in that miracle. I want to be involved in this miracle too. Like, call me out here. Write me into this story. I'm going to go down in history. Other people said, I mean, he was probably a teenager and he's brash and impulsive and like whatever it was. Somebody made a comment on the stream this morning that said he's probably an Enneagram 7 and he was just here for it, man. He's the enthusiast and he's just excited to be a part of the action and doesn't want to miss out. I love all of those reasons. And the truth is, we have no idea why he has to be called out, but he does. But he goes out onto the water and there we learn something critical. We learn, we learn why Faith fails in those moments. We learn why in the midst of a storm and even being with the one who's behind and above the storm, we learn why faith fails. Listen for it. Verse 30, simple phrase. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. That's it. That's why faith fails. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. You see, what he did as he's staring out under the water and there's a flash of lightning, a clap of thunder, and he sees the eyes of Jesus and he locks eye contact on Jesus. And he's as long as he's focused and he's fixed on his Savior, listen, he can walk on the storm. But that minute that there's a flash of lightning and he gets distracted, he takes his eyes off from Jesus and he looks at something else. When he saw the storm, he became afraid. Doubt takes away fear sometimes. Doubt struggles against faith sometimes. And this is how it happens. It's a specific kind of doubt. Listen for it in the next line. After he's afraid, and Peter, and beginning to sink, Peter, he cries out this three-word prayer. Hang on to it. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. He caught him, but he also said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And that word doubt is important for us to understand, is understand why faith fails in the storm. Uh, when, when the storm of life starts beating against you and life gets really tremendously hard, and we want to know why does faith fail at those times? That word doubt is a literal meaning. It means that to have a split mind or a divided heart. And that's what Peter experienced. He looks, oh, he looks out at his Savior, Jesus, who's walking on the storm, who's the God of the storm. But at the same time, he can't help to be drawn towards the danger of the storm and afraid of the things that may happen. And that's when he starts to doubt, and that's when he starts to sink. And I'd be lying if I said that wasn't going to happen to me this week or to you this week. As much as I would love for you and I together to fix our eyes on Jesus and to never let go, there will be those times when there's a flash of lightning and that divided mind robs us 
of staying focused on Jesus will get distracted and you'll start to sink. But then another thing will happen. Another thing that's happened this week is that you're going to cry out, Lord, save me. And you will experience the grace of a hand of God reaching down on you to grab onto and to pull you back up. The story isn't finished yet. We have the best part in verse 32. When they climbed, the disciples, and Jesus and, and Peter, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. You notice something in this story? I love this. The disciples, they never asked Jesus to calm the storm for them. The simple presence of God pushed out the storm. That's what I want to offer you this week. I want to offer you this week to say that when fear creeps in, locking your eyes on Jesus, the presence of God in your storm pushes out fear. The presence of God pushes out fear. What happened in the story is that Peter learned a lesson that day. He learned a lesson that day about the power of God and the one who he ought to fear. And the same one who he ought to fear looked him square in the eye and said, Fear not. I'm the God of this storm too. The presence of God invited into the boat pushed out fear. What the disciples met that day wasn't a thing. It wasn't some thing that threatened them. It wasn't some thing that they feared. It was a one. It was a someone. A someone replaced a something. And that someone is so incredibly powerful. He deserves our undivided, unsplit attention. Our hearts and our minds. A someone replaced the something. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing that after Jesus was arrested, the disciples, all the disciples became terrified in fear again. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten up. He was mocked. He was spat on. He was sentenced to death, execution, via crucifixion. And while that was happening, while they were beating him up, the disciples, they all did three things. They all, the disciples ran away. They hid, they denied, they lied about knowing him. This little girl comes up to Peter and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you, aren't you with him? And Peter says, no. Threatened with the same thing that Jesus was threatened with, crucifixion or arrest or getting beat up. He says, no, absolutely not. I deny, I hide, I lie. That's what we do. That's what he did. He was afraid. He did it three times. But the thing about Peter is, as brash as he was, there was something else to him. Because something else happened. Because a little bit later on in the story, when he was faced with those exact same things, arrest, imprisonment, execution, harm, mockery, when he was faced with those same things by those same people, it's like a trigger, like flipped, or a switch flipped inside of him, inside of his mind. I said, no, 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 now it's worth it. 
Now he's not afraid of a little girl identifying him with Jesus. Peter will stand up before everybody and anybody and say, I identify with Jesus Christ in his sufferings. I am not afraid of the consequences. Come what may, because I've met the God of the storm. Anything that you can throw at with me, it doesn't even matter because I've met this someone who's behind all of it. And the someone that I know is so incredibly powerful, I'm not afraid of some thing. Then I want to know, like, what did he see? What happened? Church, a resurrection is what happened. Is that after Jesus had died and been put in the ground for three days, he came back to life. And Peter hung out with him. He ate with him. He had a breakfast on a beach with him. I mean, they were together. And just like seeing all of that, it's changed Peter from that point on because he knew that nothing No thing could ever take his life, his life after life, away from him. And it's beautiful. It changed him. And it could change you too. That one prayer, Lord, save me. Just three words. All he he could get out, all he needed to get out is a hand reaching up and saying, Lord, save me. And everything changes. A someone replaces the something. The presence of God starts to push out fear. I'll tell you what it looks like. A few years back, I heard about, I heard about somebody close in our church. This was maybe in his 50s at the time. A lot of life to go yet. Good marriage, great kids, some of them grown, some of them nearly finished and out of the house, out of college. And his doctor and his oncologist all agreed that the symptoms that he was exhibited looked exactly like cancer. A stage four cancer that had by this time almost surely spread throughout his entire body. And it wasn't a matter of if, they were talking about when. And I had an opportunity to sit down in his living room. And I didn't have words. There are no words for a moment like that. But sitting down in his chair in his living room and just letting him talk and hearing from him. He said, I know what's coming. I'm not afraid. And I thought, listen to yourself. Just Think about that for a minute. You're talking about timelines. You're talking about months, maybe weeks. And he's saying, I know. I'm not afraid. I'm concerned for my family, for those I'm going to leave behind. I know what's going to happen. And I have some concerns for them, but I'm not angry. I'm not trying to bargain, although I would love a little more time if it's possible. but, But I know what happens after this. And for him, it was like even death could not separate him from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because he sat down one day and he prayed, Lord, his version, Lord, save me with a hand up. And he was. God reached down and grabbed that hand and pulled him up. And he's going to reach down for you and grab your hand and pull you up too. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to, to turn your life over to his and say, Lord, save me 
whether it's for the first time, whether it's for the first time in a long time. Drop a line in the comments below. Give us a praise emoji. Give us something so we can pray for you and we can celebrate you because people are getting saved today. He is not through. The presence of God is pushing out fear, especially now. Because you have an opportunity standing in front of you here today. It's not just another thing that is threatening you. But you have the one, you have someone to replace anything that could stand in the way of you and life eternal in Jesus Christ. Let's pray to that God together here today. Our God, our Savior. Lord, we need you so badly. God, we are in that boat right now. And you're calling us to step out in faith and we don't know how to do that because we're so concerned with the with the lightning flashing around us and the claps of thunder in our lives and whatever it is that we're afraid of. God, don't we have the opportunity today to invite you into the boat? What a difference that would make. What a difference in our tossing and our turning, in those moments when fear is seeming to win, to know Jesus, the God of the storm, is in our boat. Lord, save me. Jesus, it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.